like anything, speaking is a skill that can be learned and improved over time. And the way that you get better as a speaker is you speak. The way you get better as a writer is you write. The way you get better as a singer is you sing. And so you have to continue to work on that craft like anything else. But absolutely, it's a skill that can be learned and improved upon. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. Super excited to have a legend in the field of public speaking. I have the one and only Grant Baldwin, who has been Oh my God, the man has spoken to over half a million people on stages as audiences that would be up to the range of 13,000, has written several books, including The Successful Speaker, Five Steps to Booking Gigs, Getting Paid, Building Your Platform, Booked and Paid to Speak, and so many more. The man has been in this industry for over a decade and a half, and he's currently the founder and CEO of The Speaker Lab. I've been looking at his material, reading his material to become better myself as a speaker, it's something that I've done not as a primary vehicle, but as a secondary vehicle. And I'm so excited to be able to have a conversation with him to discover more about what are the ways that you can build your career as a speaker? What are the key things you should know as a speaker, especially if you're looking to sell yourself and going deeper into that? Grant, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Jason, thanks for letting me be with you. This is gonna be fun. I'm curious about the origin story. Like a lot of people speaking is a thing they do, not 100% of what they are. So I'd be curious to know, where do we get started? How did you become the man to talk to if I'm looking to speak? Yeah, so if we go back in time, in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a really big impact in my life. And so I was like, I wanna do that. Like that seemed like a really cool, rewarding profession. And so kind of felt like if I could make the kind of impact and difference and others that he had made in my life, that seemed really rewarding. And so that's kind of the path I was on. I went to Bible college. I worked at a different church for a little while as a youth pastor. And that gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. In fact, in college, I worked for a guy who was a full-time speaker. So I kind of got to see a little bit behind the scenes and helping him with some booking and travel logistics, that sort of thing. And so speaking is one of those things I always enjoyed. I felt like I was decent at. And so when I left this role as a youth pastor, I was like, I want to be a speaker, but I didn't really know, like, how do you do that? And how much do you charge? Who hire speakers? What do you speak about? How does it work? And so at the time, this was 17, 18 years ago or so, there were really no books or resources or trainings or coaches or podcasts on the subject or topic. So I found myself just emailing other speakers, harassing other speakers, can I pick your brain type stuff? Let me stalk you for a minute. And just trying to learn something, anything about speaking. And so I learned a few things, started booking some gigs. And eventually over the next couple of years, got to a point where I was doing about 60 or 70 paid speaking engagements a year. And then I got to a point in my career where I had a lot of people who were asking me the same questions I had. You know, how do you get started and how much you charge and who hires speakers? How does it work? And so about seven, eight years ago or so is when I started the Speaker Lab. So the Speaker Lab is, a, is ultimately like what I wish I had when I got started speaking. And so we worked with speakers in every U.S. state in 49 different countries around the world speakers of all different ages, stages, and helping them understand the process of how do you get booked and paid to speak and how do you make an impact and income with your message? So yeah, that's what landed us here. Yeah, fantastic. Now, I always have to address this because I know people are going to be tuning in with different levels of experience and proficiency when it comes to speaking. One of the biggest ones being, you know, I'm afraid of speaking, but it sounds like you kind of had a natural talent for it. And so I'd be curious to know with most of the people you work with and developing themselves as speakers, do you find it's a skill that can be developed or is it something that you're kind of born with? 
Yeah, I think it's a bit of both for sure. I like speaking is one of those things that I have always enjoyed. I feel comfortable being in, up in front of an audience, but I think oftentimes there's this misconception that if you enjoy it or it's fun for you or gratifying or whatever it may be, that therefore you don't get nervous. And I don't think that's accurate. And I think that oftentimes it's easy to confuse nervousness with just adrenaline and excitement, right? So I think about like some key moments that have happened in my life. Think about key moments that have happened in your life. So I think about for me, whenever I proposed to my wife or at our wedding or when my daughters were born, like some of these like big moments and then you feel like those butterflies and it's not like this nervousness of like, oh my gosh, this is going to be a disaster. It's just like this adrenaline and excitement, right? So if you think about if you're a professional athlete and you're getting ready to go play in the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl or the World Series, whatever it may be, like you probably still feel those. And it's not like this nervousness of like, oh my gosh, I forgot how to play basketball. No, no, like they're trained, they're a professional at this thing, but it's just the excitement of the moment. And I think oftentimes that's what we view as nervousness. Really, it's just kind of the, the excitement. And if anything, it's kind of the body's way of reminding you like, hey, like pay attention. Like what you're doing right now is like really important. It's significant. And oftentimes the higher the stakes, the more the adrenaline that you feel. And so, yeah, I definitely think that like anything, speaking is a skill that can be learned and improved over time. And the way that you get better as a speaker is you speak. The way you get better as a writer is you write. The way you get better as a singer is you sing. And so you have to continue to work on that craft like anything else. But absolutely, it's a skill that can be learned and improved upon. I 100% agree. I had a talk on last Thursday and it's been one of the first times I'm getting on a stage, like physical stage, because, oh my God, the COVID kind of threw things on the side, got virtual a lot. And so I always have this nervousness, excitement, or this heightened emotional state right before I get on stage. But the moment I start speaking, there's even that like silence at the beginning of a talk. I kind of like sink my teeth into it. I don't know if that's a weird thing, but like I have those jitters, I get on stage and then I'll have like a moment of being silent and awkward. And I'm trying to like feel the crowd and the emotions super high. And then you break the tension, you start speaking. And then it, for me, it kind of just, all right, the nervousness is gone. I get into a flow state. And I was going to kind of ask you about that difference between the in-person versus this virtual environment that I know have aggressively evolved throughout the pandemic. What have you noticed about the key differences between speaking in person and virtually that we should pay attention to? Yeah. So, you know, prior to the pandemic, you know, virtual wasn't really a thing. And so event planners weren't really taking it seriously or paying attention to it. Speakers weren't paying attention to it or taking it seriously. And then the, the pandemic hit and virtual becomes the only option. It becomes the only game in town. And so everybody quickly, you know, from a presenter speaker standpoint, but also from a participant audience member standpoint, like everybody had to figure it out very, very quickly. And so, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that if we fast forward to today, that as live events have come back, they've not come back in replacement of, but they've come back in addition to virtual events. And so, you know, great speakers today are great in person and they're also great virtually. And it creates a lot of opportunities for speakers to lean into, you know, one or the other, or, you know, in many cases, both. And so there are definitely some distinct differences between the two, right? There's nothing that compares and competes with being together with people in person. So hugs, handshakes, high fives, like the real human interaction, like that's really, really difficult to duplicate via Zoom or via, you know, via some type of a virtual environment. But at the same time with virtual, obviously you can appeal to a much wider, broader audience that you cannot relate to in person. So you know, just to get a bunch of people in the same room logistically, it requires a lot. There's a lot that goes into it versus, you know, putting on some type of a virtual event is largely just requires a link. So it's a much, much simpler process. Now, if you're going to be presenting virtually, you know, people's attention spans are going to be much, much shorter. The Zoom fatigue is a very much a real thing. Whenever you are speaking in person, you know, people tend to have the courtesy of just paying attention. But when you are speaking virtually, it's really easy to get distracted by any number of tabs that you have open on your browser or checking your inbox or any number of other things. I'm just going to check in on this and I'm kind of paying attention, but I'm kind of not. 
it's just a lot easier to do that in a virtual environment. So it's definitely a lot, I think it's a lot more difficult to speak virtually than it is in person, but they both serve a purpose and both can be very, very effective. Yeah. I find it's like that lack of feedback sometimes make it so that you have to rely on your self-confidence. <laughs> If I'm doing like a solo and sometimes they'd make you do these virtual events where you have zero awareness of the chat. Like I think those, I forget what platforms it was, but you know, the chat was maybe happening on Facebook or LinkedIn. I didn't have it. And all you're doing is you're just talking into the void, you know? And I find when there's a live audience and you can tap into that emotion, at least you know where you adjust and make those twists and turns in the process as well. So Correct. And then to piggyback on that, if you're going to be presenting virtually, the chat can be very, very effective. And there can be a distraction, you know, depending on how many people are there. And if the chat's just a constant stream there, that's just hard to read and think and communicate at the same time. But it does provide a place that you can get some kind of that feedback. Because like you're talking about, when you're presenting in person, you get that real-time feedback. And sometimes that that is, you know, people doing something or sometimes just nonverbal, smiling or nodding or raising a hand or taking notes or are they asleep? Are they awake? Are they paying attention? Are they looking at their phone? And you lose a lot of that whenever you are in a virtual environment. So the chat can be a very, very effective tool to just do some of these little touch points just to check in with people. If you're with me, just type in the chat, I'm with you. You know, just something like that is a really quick, simple thing. But just kind of a disconnect, kind of reconnect for people. If they were disengaged, now let's bring them back in by doing some type of, of something that engages them in the chat. Yeah, no, 100%. And you know, one of the things I find as a benefit of doing interviews is like we're having a conversation. And I think one of the most respectful things to do for anybody who is hosting podcasts or having interviews is, you're, you know, giving feedback to the person that's speaking and sending the message so that we're actually exchanging energy at the same time, which brings me kind of to putting in your reps, right? So talking about the gym, you got to put in the reps. I know for me, I speak a lot about sales. And one of the benefits I had at a young age was that I found myself doing telephone sales, booking appointments. So I'm having that rapid iteration of getting over that initial fear of, you know, I'm terrible at this. Like you got to put in those reps. And I'd be curious to know what are some of the most effective things that you suggest for people that might have an itch for speaking and maybe they just need to put in the reps to get comfortable. What are some of the mediums you would suggest to get over that fear real quick? Yeah, good question. So there's a variety of different contexts you can speak. You know, like you mentioned, having a podcast interview and a conversation right now is a form of that, right? So it's obviously a little bit of a different context, but, you know, let's say I want to just share a story or share some type of framework that I teach. You know, this is an environment where you can kind of test some of that. You know, it could be in an interview type format. It could be you hosting some type of Facebook Live or doing a YouTube channel or something like that could be effective. It's also a chance for you to look for whether you host your own webinars or you are a guest on other webinars or you're doing some type of virtual event, something like that. Or if you are speaking at something locally, it could be something for work, could be something at your church. I mean, any at bat, any opportunity that you have, because you're exactly right. You know, if you want to get better as a writer, you don't need anybody else. You know, you can sit wherever and write or type or whatever it may be. If you want to get better as a singer or playing an instrument, you don't need anybody else for that. But when it comes to speaking, ideally you have some form of an audience with that. And so whether that's virtual or whether that's in person, look for those opportunities that you can take advantage of to try something, even in a conversation, right? So maybe you are having lunch with a friend and just catching up and there's a story that you've kind of been kicking around in your head, like share that story and kind of just watch where they are you exciting as you're telling it? Are they engaged with you as you are sharing it and looking for some of that feedback that then you can apply and improving upon that, that story next time you tell it? I have to ask a side question, maybe not as much as speaking, but I feel like we all have that friend that tells stories that sometimes they're like way too long and we get disengaged, right? Like, do we have a self-awareness tool to know if we're doing it right or wrong? Well, one of the things that, especially whenever it comes to speaking and, you know, stories or otherwise is, is that whenever you're creating a talk or you're creating a story, you're making an educated guess. 
I think this is funny. I think this will make sense. I think this will resonate. I think this will work. But you just don't oftentimes know until you get up in front of an audience. Now, the reality is, is that over time, the more you do this, the more you have a pretty good idea. Again, it's a guess, but it's an educated guess. You know, you've given enough presentations to know how this is going to work or how this material is going to land. It's also important to note that every audience is going to be slightly different. So I'll give you an example. I remember a couple of years ago, I was speaking at an event and they had me speak five times over two days they give the exact same presentation, but to five different audiences, they were kind of cycling through, right? And so five times, five times. And then there's a couple of people from the organization at a university, and they had a couple of people from the school there who were with me for all five of the presentations. And one of the things I was talking with them about after the fact was how, look at this, I gave the exact same talk five times, but each time you told that story, it landed slightly different based on the time of day? Did people just have lunch? Did they just wake up? Are they tired? Are they awake? Are they energized? Is the room completely full? Is it half full? Like all of these variables and factors are going to play into it. So, but uh, again, going back to when you're making that educated guess, you give that presentation and you tell that story and you get that real-time feedback, it informs and makes the story better next time. So a way to think about this is if you're a chef and you're going like, okay, I'm a chef and I'm working on some type of chicken pasta dish or something, right? And using your skills and ability and your experience, like I'm going to put all these toppings and ingredients together to try to come up with some type of pasta. But then what you have to do as a good chef, you have to taste it as you go. Okay, taste it. Okay, I need to cook it a little bit longer or I need to add a little bit of a salt, or it has too much sugar, or we need to add a little bit of this, or a little bit of that. And again, you're making this educated guess, but then you're getting the feedback each time that you cook or prepare that dish, and each time that you tell that story or deliver that presentation. So over time, it becomes better and better and more and more refined because of all the previous audiences that you've given that material to. I love that. And, you know, I guess there is a bit of a bias when you're tasting it yourself, because you only have a certain set of lens, but it's still better than nothing. So when it comes to like self-practice, I know for me, the biggest breakthroughs was watching my own videos when I was talking and noticing all the weird ticks. And I remember for those who are watching this on video, not podcast, like I used to always do this with my hands. Like it was the most annoying thing on video. So I had to kind of do this training of watching myself. And at first it was brutal, like just judging myself. And I was like, oh my God, I'm noticing everything. But once that breakthrough was done, then I felt like, okay, like now I can go and kind of put my dish in front of others and see if they like it too. But yeah, fascinating journey. Now, given that, you know, the pandemic's over, a lot of these events are coming back into the live person. What does the market look like if I am a professional speaker? Like, are we seeing that there's a lot of events falling into the calendar? Are they searching for a lot of speakers? Or is it that there's so many speakers out there that, you know, we really need to stand out? Yeah, one of the great things about the speaking industry is it has been around for literally generations. And so it has survived recessions and depressions, 9-11, pandemics, and wars, and it will be around longer than you or I or anybody else watching or listening will be alive. Like the speaking industry just has a long, long track record and shelf life, which also means that there are a bajillion speaking opportunities on all different subjects and topics. You know, I think oftentimes we assume we look at someone like, I don't know, Tony Robbins and think, oh, well, Tony's a great speaker and I'll never be as good as Tony is. And so therefore there's no opportunities, but there's plenty of organizations and groups that can't afford a, a Tony Robbins speaker, right? And they're not looking for a Tony Robbins. That's not their cup of tea. That's not who's going to resonate with them, but they still want a quality speaker. And so absolutely, there are an enormous amount of opportunities. And like I touched on, you know, post-pandemic, there's a lot of virtual opportunities that largely didn't exist prior to the pandemic. So it's just created an enormous amount of opportunity that largely wasn't there pre-pandemic. So whether, again, you're brand new, just getting started, don't know what you don't know, you've been at it for a while, 
and you want to speak a hundred times a year, you want to speak five times a year, there's amazing opportunities for speakers. What do you think is the biggest realization that comes to a speaker who wants to get started as a paid speaker and is just going out there that they have no clue what they're doing? Like, what do you think is the hard truth they need to face when they go out there? Yeah, I think one of the hardest truths for most speakers is at the end of the day, as a speaker, you have one job and that is to solve one specific problem for one specific audience. Now, the danger we see with a lot of speakers is we tend to want to spread the net as far and wide as possible. And so who do I speak to? I don't know, man. I speak to humans. I speak to people. My message is for everybody, right? And what do I speak about? I don't know. What do you want me to speak about? I can speak about anything. We can talk about marketing or sales or leadership or customer service or faith or family or like on and on the list goes. And so we always tell speakers that you want to be the specialist and not the generalist. You want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet, the steakhouse, not the buffet. Meaning, Jason, if you and I are going out for a good steak, we have a choice. We could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre, or we could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really well. So they don't do lasagna, they don't do sushi, they don't do tacos, they don't do cupcakes. They do steak and that's it, full stop. And so the same thing is true for speakers. We tend to think that the more things I can talk about, the more people I can reach, the more opportunities I will have. So how do I spread the net as far and wide as possible? But that doesn't work. So again, solve one specific problem for one specific audience. The more narrow, the more focused you are, it's counterintuitive, but the easier it becomes to find the type of gigs for you. The other thing I would say that's difficult for speakers to often wrap their heads around is oftentimes speakers make the mistake of wanting to use, especially if you have some type of like life story or something, some type of obstacle that you've overcome or whatever, speakers tend to want to use speaking or use the platform as a form of therapy. Let me get up in front of an audience and let me tell you my life story and let me tell you how hard it was and how great my life is, right? And here's the reality, okay? I don't say this to be mean or condescending in any way, but the audience doesn't care about your story. They just don't, okay? The fact that you conquered cancer, the fact that you overcame this obstacle, the fact that you, whatever life achievement you have, or here's my three keys to life, like the audience doesn't care. What they wanna know is what's in it for me? What's in it for me? Your story may be interesting, but how does that impact? It doesn't mean don't tell your story. That can absolutely be fine and effective, but you have to frame it through the lens of how does this impact the audience? How is this helpful? How is this beneficial to the audience? Not in a fact of, hey, look at my story. My story is interesting. Therefore, you should hire me to speak. Nobody's interested in that. At the end of the day, what people are interested in is how can you solve one specific problem for one specific audience? I'm glad you shared that. And I don't think it comes across too harsh. I think it's a powerful reminder. And there are people that are professionals when it comes to therapy that can treat you. And I don't think it's to be shared onto an audience to handle that burden. So I definitely would agree with that. Second, it's like, my God, this is like the message we share on all different types of aspects of doing business. Like you're an entrepreneur, find your niche. You're a marketer, you know, get into the niche, get very specific. And then speaking again, that message is there. But it seems to be this drum we need to keep beating on for us to get the message. And even as a speaker myself, like I feel the temptation and I'm looking at, you know, I'm like, am I a one trick pony? But what you're saying is like double down on that and then get so specific on what problem it solves for the people you want to go out to. And then that kind of brings me to this whole idea of like the choosing the venue. Like I was looking at a website called, I think thespeakers.ca, which seems to be a big agency to representing speakers in Canada. And when you look at their, like, if you're a speaker kind of submission form, they're like, we get thousands of speaker asking to be represented. And I would assume everybody wants to be published or represented. If that is a route somebody wants to go towards, what are some of the key advices you would give before anybody seeks representation? And if that's even something you recommend? 
Yeah, I would actually not recommend that for 95% of the people watching, listening, maybe 99%. And here's why. Oftentimes what we think is, okay, I want to be a speaker. I know who I speak to. I know what problem I solve. Now I just need to find an agent. Now I just need to find a bureau as if there's some, you know, keeper of the keys to the kingdom that I need to go through. Okay. And that is not the way it works. And so the way a bureau works is a bureau is kind of this middleman. An agent is kind of this middleman where they are connecting speakers with events. And it's not like a bureau sitting around going like, man, we have all of these events. If only we had more speakers, we just do not have enough speakers. How do I, if some people would just reach out to us, that would really be helpful. Like it just doesn't work like that at all. And so a bureau, they also operate off of a commission structure. And so if you're a brand new speaker, just getting started, or even if you've been speaking for a little bit, let's say your fees are $5,000 or $10,000. So they have a choice to book you and collect some percentage of that, or they can book some more established known speaker for 25, 30, 40, $50,000 and collect a commission on that. Like from just a math standpoint and economic standpoint, it's a lot simpler to book a speaker who's known at a higher fee than a speaker that's unknown at a lower fee. So here's kind of what I would always recommend. Well, let me give you one other thought here. I had a friend who's a president of a major speakers bureau, and he always says that bureaus don't create demand, they manage demand. Bureaus don't create demand, they manage demand. Meaning, if you're going, I'm not getting any bookings already on my own, a bureau is not going to be interested in you. But if you're like, I'm getting requests every single day, and I don't know what to do with this, and how do I manage this demand, they can absolutely kind of funnel that and help you with that. So it is kind of this interesting situation where if you're not getting gigs, then a bureau is not going to be interested in you. But if you are getting gigs, you may not need a bureau, but suddenly they're interested in you, right? So if you can't book gigs on your own, a bureau is not going to be interested in doing that for you. Okay. Let me say that again. Okay. For the people in the back, if you're not already booking gigs on your own, a bureau is not going to be able to help you do that. So the best thing you can do is just bureaus, agents, all of them, they're lovely people, but put them out of your mind right now. That's not the plan. That's not the strategy. You've got to learn how to fish for yourself. And then over time, if it makes sense, maybe you add a bureau or an agent into the mix. But to, to kick things off, if you're not already doing, let's say, six figures of speaking consistently, and you've been doing that for several years, there's zero need for you to look into a bureau or an agent because they're just not going to give you the time of day. That's fantastic advice to give. That's harsh advice, but people I know are oftentimes looking for like, what's the shortcut? How do I just find someone who will do this for me, right? The answer is that doesn't exist, okay? So I always say like, I'll just give you my own personal experience. I've done close to 600 paid speaking engagements, like in-person, not virtual, not podcast interviews, not webinars, like in-person paid speaking engagements. And I would say probably... 10 or 15 of those have come from bureaus or agents. Like, and if I get one, great. It, like it's icing on the cake, but I'm not like building my business on that. And so that's why, you know, the core of what we do at the Speaker Lab, again, we teach people how to fish. We teach people how to find and book gigs and not be dependent on a bureau, not be dependent on an agent, not to be dependent on us. We're going to give you all the resources that you need. But at the end of the day, you've got to be the one that casts the pole, that reels that fish in, that does the work. It's simple but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. So it's kind of like, you know, if you wanted to lose 10 pounds, what do you need to do? Well, I'm no health expert, but I know you need to pay attention to what you eat and you need to exercise. Like that's it, right? So it's simple, but it's not easy. It still requires work. It still requires effort. It still requires discipline. The same thing is true with finding and booking gigs. We will show you exactly what you need to do. We'll give you email scripts. We'll give you who to reach out. We'll give you all the things, but you still have to do the work. You know, it's like, if I go to the gym, this morning I went to the gym. I did not want to go to the gym, but I went to the gym to work out with a buddy of mine. And 
you know, he can be encouraging. He can create a, here's the workout that we're going to do today. Here's the number of reps and sets and weights that we're going to do. He can create all that, but I still have to actually lift the weight. I still have to show up and do the work. And the same thing is true with building a speaking business. Well, I find that's great because it kind of just takes it off the table so you can focus on what's necessary and what will actually work. I find it's very similar also to the publishing industry for books. You know, it's only once you have an amazing following can you get a cash advance and then get published. And even so, you got to pay back that advance with the book sales. And so self-publishing ends up being a very powerful route. For speaking, is this something that's new, that is more easy than ever to be able to go out and book yourself? Because I know in publishing, you know, Amazon came out, you got this great platform. Now you can just publish a book and have it distributed around the world. Much easier than if you want to publish a book, let's say in the 90s. Has the speaking world had a similar progression, evolution, and is that a good thing for a speaker? Uh, I don't know that it's been as similar because like in the publishing industry, you're exactly right that there were, you know, a handful of these major publishers and they were the gatekeepers. If you wanted to get your book into Barnes and Noble or, or wherever, uh, your local bookstore, then you had to go through one of these. And so now that's been much more decentralized. I think that's less the case with the speaking industry. And so, you know, whether you are, again, a brand new speaker just getting started or you're a big wig speaker with a big wig name or something like that, there's still opportunities to reach to event planners and decision makers. But again, at the end of the day, what they're looking for is, can you solve a specific problem for my audience? Not, I don't care about your dog and pony show. I don't care about what your life obstacle is, but what's in it for me? How can you solve one specific problem for my audience? I love that. So this kind of ties into the question I want to head towards, but you might be repeating the same thing, which is we're not doing like a pay promotion here, but it kind of leads people into your product anyways. So you bring speakers into your platform, you teach them, but there must be a level of preparedness that someone should have before they even start thinking, I'm now going to be a paid speaker. And I'd love to know for anybody who would be considered like a prime candidate to take it to the paid level of speaking, what are some of the prerequisites you should have completed to even be considered someone that has the potential to be a paid speaker? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I don't know that there's too many prerequisites as far as like background and here's all the things that you need to have done and here's what your resume should look like other than you got to show up and be ready to do the work, right? So the speakers that we work with, there's a difference between those that make it, those that don't. And by make it, I mean like those that start consistently booking paid gigs. And it's really those that just ultimately treat this like a business and treat this like a professional, right? So you can't put in amateur effort and expect professional results. Like it just doesn't work like that. But the speakers who show up and say, I am here to do the work. I am here to put in the effort. I am ready to grind this out. Like I'm ready to do this. Like those are the ones that are going to be successful. Again, we're going to make it dead simple in terms of telling you what to do and telling you who to reach out to and giving you leads and building a website for you and building a demo video for you and helping coaching and helping you narrow down who you speak to, what you speak about. Because speakers, oftentimes they're like, you know, I would be interested in joining something, but I don't quite know who I would speak to. And I just love speaking and I want to speak to everybody. I want to help the world. Okay. Like that's not going to work. So let us work with you to help narrow that down and get you a bit more streamlined and focused on here's who you could speak to. Here's what that could look like. And here's how that might translate into a speaking business. In addition, a lot of people just don't know what the options are. You know, you don't necessarily have to be a full-time speaker. That is certainly an option. A lot of people are intrigued by and interested by, but there's also a lot of people who have a very successful, you know, business or career, whatever it may be, but they speak five times a year or 10 times a year on the side as part of maybe lead gen or selling some type of product or service that they have or some other form of their business or their career. And so speaking can look a lot of different ways, depending on what you are looking for. But ultimately, like if you're someone who says, hey, I'm passionate about speaking, I want to know how I can make an impact and income with my message. 
and I just don't know what I don't know, and I'm not even sure if I have what it takes, that's all fine. That is okay. It doesn't take anything away from taking the steps, taking the next action items to begin to take steps toward building that speaking career. Interesting. Well, Grant, I feel like there's a wealth of information we can unpack with you. I know there's a ton of books that you've written so that people can find out these methods. There's different ways they can work with you through your workshops and such. So we're going to put a link in the show notes so you guys can go deeper into the Speaker Lab and all the wonderful work that Grant does. Honestly, this has been refreshing for me. As I mentioned, I do some speaking quite casually, but it's something that's been piquing my interest. This is why I reached out to your organization and I was like, I need to see what are some of the biggest myths we need to break and what are the biggest things we need to look into. And it sounds like we've already started doing a lot of ground here. I'll let anyone who is more interested in going down this route to go and connect directly, pick up a copy of the books. I see the successful speaker is just behind you. Is this the latest book that just came out? Yeah, yeah, the successful speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, building your platforms. So definitely check that out. So it walks through a five-step roadmap that we, uh, we call the Speak Framework. Again, if you're just getting started, going, I don't know what steps I need to take, or if you're someone who's been booking some gigs and wondering how do I book more gigs or book higher paying gigs or higher profile gigs, the Speak Framework, that Speaker Success Roadmap is what's going to walk that through. So yeah, definitely check out the successful speaker. Fantastic. Grant, one more thing I love to ask everyone who comes on the show, you are on the Selling with Love podcast. So my question to you is, what does selling with love mean to you? I think ultimately at the end of the day, like you actually, you just give a damn about people and showing that you care. And so one of the things that we talk about internally within our organization and the Speaker Lab is we've got about 35, 40 team members or so. And I, I tell the team all the time that who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning if they're great at what they do in terms of work, or if you or I are great at, as podcasters or speakers or entrepreneurs or whatever the, whatever it may be. But we drop the ball as husbands, as wives, as moms, as dads, if, as sons and daughters, as friends. If we are a shell of a human being, we are doing it wrong. And so everybody's role in terms of work matters. But if it's just about you know climbing a ladder or to add an extra zero to your bank account or anything like that, it's just purely transactional. It's a very, very short-sighted, short-term, ineffective way to sell versus having a long-term relationship-minded approach to selling, which is much more effective and much more successful. I love it. Grant, thank you so much for your time. For everybody tuning in, I'll tell you one thing that I wasn't planning on mentioning, but I'll say here is that I've actually booked a call with their teams and their team were absolutely wonderful, asking powerful, qualifying question. I do feel that they have the selling with love methodology and ethos within their organization. So if you are considering going on a speaker journey, pick up a copy of the book and go ahead and book a sales call. If this is something you might be considering, you'll have a wonderful conversation and you'll get to self-discover what are some of the steps you might need to take so you can go on that journey of being a paid speaker yourself. Grant, once again, thank you for your time and everybody else, go out there and speak with love and sell with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.